0: Living as strangers in a foreign land, God is still sovereign. And um, we're going to come to a a passage in Daniel 6 that if you've ever gone to Sunday school, you've probably read this passage. It's one of the more famous ones. And so therefore, I have my work cut out to give a couple of little different insights that uh, you may not in the multiple years that you have seen, read, taught this passage. One of the things I want to start out with, though, is that whether you are living in the land of your origin or you're living as a foreigner in a foreign land, life isn't fair. And yet you'll hear a lot of young people always talk about, well, that's not fair. And they especially say it to their parents when they're meeting out punishment or whatever. Or if somebody gets the role in a school play that they thought they were better at, it's not fair. Or uh, you're on a sports team and the head coach's son is a quarterback and you think you're a better quarterback, life isn't fair. And so... This is one of those passages that life just isn't fair, but I want you to see how Daniel handles himself in this whole situation. And so in Daniel chapter 6, it starts with this, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, and that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and the king might not suffer loss so this chapter follows right in with with the change in kingdoms that belshazzar was king of the babylonian kingdom and then that was ripped out in one night from his his grasp and now the medo-persian empire and darius is now uh, appointing and organizing his government on how to handle it and so his determination was the best way to handle this kingdom is to have these governor types, about 120, uh, be responsible for each of their areas, and that they then would report to one of three commissioners, and Daniel being one, which shows you something significant, because when we last saw Daniel, he had kind of semi-been forgotten. It was the queen who said, you, uh, the queen's mother who said there was a man named Daniel, he can interpret. And so obviously Daniel had uh, been less used in the waning days of the Babylonian Empire, but here he's immediately made not only one of the satraps, but he is one of the commissioners that the satraps are reporting to. And so um, we see again Daniel in the prominence. And the king is doing this because kings do what they do because they want all the money and they want all the power and they want to make sure that it isn't squandered and somebody else doesn't take it. And so he's set up this organizational structure. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to anoint, appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, it doesn't say specifically God did this, but the fact that he has this extraordinary spirit means God has been, again, involved in Daniel's life, that Daniel has the talents and abilities to not only do the job, but to do it exceedingly well. And so the king sees this and goes i got to promote this guy. Instead of making him one of the three, he's doing such a good job, I'm going to put him over the commissioners so that he can make sure the commissioners do a good job, so that the satraps do a good job, so that my kingdom is rich and powerful. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they, could not, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So, again, this, even though this was thousands of years ago, life and people don't change. When somebody has success, instead of people rejoicing in that success, they go, well, wait a minute. How come I'm not successful? Let's put Daniel... In his place, and after all, he's from that little small country of Judah. And who does he think he is? We're much more powerful. And so, they try to find a way to destroy him by finding some kind of accusation, whether it's corruption or negligence, he's just not doing a good job. And they can't find it because he does such an extraordinary job, and he was faithful. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. So they come to the conclusion that they can't find anything wrong with him and they're not going to be able to make it up because nobody's going to believe it because once the accounting is done, he's going to prove himself innocent. So they said his weakness then is that he follows the law of his God. So if we can do something to, avoid, to make him violate some law of the Medo-Persian empire, we got him. So let's set a trap. So these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. So in essence, they conspire together. There is conspiracy of these people to say, let's put Daniel away. So they said, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, and the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, they're lying. How is it that I know they're lying? Because because the word doesn't say their line, because it said the satraps and commissioners came to an agreement. Well, who's one of the commissioners? Daniel. Do you think Daniel would come to an agreement that says, yeah, we ought to worship you, O king? I don't think so. So now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now, taking you briefly back to remember the statute that Nebuchadnezzar saw that started out with gold and then went to silver. Nebuchadnezzar had absolute power. He could change his mind on a whim. He could kill you. He could, he could spare you. He could take your property. He, he was law and his word was law. The Medo-Persian said, if you write something down... It becomes a law, and you can't change it. So the king in the Medo-Persian empire did not have the same authority as Nebuchadnezzar did, so therefore that's why it was silver. And so so they're in essence laying a trap, saying, we know what the law of the Medo-Persians are. If you write something down, it becomes an injunction, and you can't change it. So uh, they appeal to, to Darius for that. Verse 10, now, when Daniel knew... That the document was signed. He entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. Now, I want you to see something. Daniel had a habit. And that habit was to pray three times a day and to be on his knees. And he had a habit of praying toward Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to spend the time, but there are provisions back in the, the uh, kings and whatever, when they were building the temple, that they said, if you pray toward Jerusalem, God will hear. And so in essence, that's what Daniel's doing, is he's praying toward Jerusalem where the temple would have been. So he's praying, but he is praying, continuing to pray according to his habit. Now, we believers tend to be more a little, um, what I want to say, we like to just do things that are contrary. And so when you tell us you're not supposed to do something, and especially when it comes to religious things, when we're told, like in school, you're no longer supposed to pray. Well, the only time we start praying is when they tell us we're not supposed to pray. But we hadn't been praying before they told us not to pray. It's because we just don't like the fact that they tell us what to do. Now, as you've heard, they will never ban prayer from school as long as there are tests because that's how students get through tests all the time. Oh God, I know I didn't study, but if you'll just give me the answer to this test, next time I will, and whatever. So as long as there's tests there, will. but we have this tendency to do things in reaction to when the state or whoever tells us, as believers we're not to do X, then we say, oh, you can't tell us not to do X, but we're going to do X. Instead of doing it before they tell us we can't, and doing it after they tell us we can't, and just doing what God has us to do. And so Daniel doesn't start praying because they tell him he can't. He continues his habit. And he does so knowing full well he is violating the command of the king. Because Daniel has made a determination that there is a king who is sovereign over heaven and earth, and he will obey him regardless of the consequences. So just as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement. Again, there's this conspiracy. And found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. So guess what? They knew exactly what Daniel was going to do. They knew when he was going to do it, so that they could gather evidence against Daniel. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. So they set him up. They said, Remember the law yet? And he repeats it and also says, Yeah, I'm stuck. I can't change it. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Which means they didn't just watch him one time. They watched him continually as his routine so that they could come and say, Not only did he violate once." Every day, for three times a day, he prays and violates your petition. Could you imagine what these guys would get done if they would just do their job rather than spying on others? But he keeps making his petitions three times a day. Then, as soon as the king heard this statement, this is interesting. Because when the three friends of Daniel violated Nebuchadnezzar's order, he was into a rage. Notice Darius's response. And he says, As soon as the king heard this he was deeply distressed, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset he kept, Exerting himself in to rescue him. Where is the loophole? What can I do to avoid Daniel being put into the lion's den? And the the problem with this is we see like we tend to think lions is lion apostrophe s, which means one lion. No, it's a lions s apostrophe. There are a bunch of lions in this den, in this cave, if you will. So it's a place where multiple lions are. And he's trying to figure out, how can I deliver Daniel? And he did it all day long. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that this is the law, a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. They came right back and said, there is no exception. There is no no exception. You must follow this law. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. Now notice we don't hear anything about Daniel's request or objections. This isn't fair. I don't deserve this. I've been a loyal subject to the king. Yeah, I still follow my God but I have been a great servant to the king. I've done nothing wrong. This isn't fair. We don't hear that from Daniel. We don't hear anything from Daniel. But we hear the king speak. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. That's a pretty great statement of faith from someone who doesn't follow the God of Daniel. But notice what he says. Not only does he say, but he says, Daniel, you constantly serve Him. You don't do it on occasion. You don't do it when it's convenient. You constantly serve your God. Would it not be a great accusation against us if someone were to say, I know that person. They constantly follow God. So the king makes this statement, if you will, of faith. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. It doesn't tell us why, but I, th- I think that there are two reasons why this happens. Isn't so that the... It's obvious that no one gives Daniel a way of escape, but it also makes it obvious that no one is allowed to go in to make sure that Daniel is taken care of. So he is, if you will, protected from the outside, and he is condemned from the outside. Then the king went off to his palace, and spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him now I want you to know something because as we continue on I find this very interesting the king has found that Daniel is a valuable person and that Daniel is important to him and then he knows that he was set up in this whole situation and even though he made a statement that says, your God who you constantly serve is able to deliver you, he is still anxious. He reminds us of us. We believe that the word says that we are to be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And we make our request known to God, and we still worry, and we don't sleep, and we do all these other things. And, but I find this second thing also interesting that I want to say. We are told how the king slept. We are never told about Daniel's night. Now, some will say it's because it makes the story more riveting that you want to know what happens. That's great if it were just a story. But I believe the Word of God is written to instruct His people how to know about Him and how to live. So it seemed to me much more instructional if they would tell us what Daniel did during the night as opposed to what the king does. Because my life is much more closer to Daniel than to the king. But the word doesn't. It just tells us that the king doesn't sleep well. Daniel is just hanging out with a bunch of lions. Then the king arose at dawn at the daybreak of break of day, break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. I bet he couldn't wait till sunrise. Kind of remind you of somebody else who had to go to a garden at sunrise to see what was behind a rock. So he rose at dawn and the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den of to, to Daniel, He cried out with a troubled voice. Yeah, he had a little faith, but he was still worried. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? The last thing he says to Daniel is God can do it. The first thing he says to Daniel was God able to do it. Again, kind of like us. Yeah, God can do it. Did God do it? God can do it. Did God do it? I saw him do it yesterday. Will he do it today? I saw him do it today. Will he do it tomorrow? Then Daniel spoke to the king It's not fair that I got put in this lion's den. You got set up. This is terrible. He didn't say any of that. Notice what he says. O king, live forever. He doesn't rebuke the king. He doesn't condemn the king. He doesn't say the king was foolish. He simply says, O king, live forever. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. My God sent His angel and shut the lion's Multiple lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I found I was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O King, I have committed no crime. He says, God did it. God sent an angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions, and I am unharmed. And the reason he did it was because I was blameless. First of all, before him, and then before you. But again, you see that Daniel does not utter any words of rebuke or blame. He simply says, this is what my God has done. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Notice we can read right past that because he trusted in his God. Maybe there would have been scratches. Maybe there would have been teeth marks. Maybe he would have been dead if he did not trust his God. God. So the answer is yes, God was able to deliver Daniel from the lions. Then, so this is what happened. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously, notice, maliciously accused Daniel. And they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So it wasn't that the lions took the day off. It wasn't that the lions weren't hungry. The lions' mouths were shut by the angel. But as soon as the angel was removed, because Daniel was no longer in the place of harm, those who sought Daniel's, Destruction received destruction themselves by the very same measure. Now you might say, Boy, that seems unfair. I get it that the, the people who conspired against Daniel ought to, but their children and their wives. I think the king is making a point. You don't mess with my leaders and make malicious allegations. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, who were living in all the land. So, it's not just good enough for, for the king to say, praise God, he delivered Daniel, let's go eat. He then sends another, not injunction, but a proclamation. Proclamation. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. He doesn't tell them not to worship other gods, but he says, when it comes to the God of Daniel, you better fear and tremble before him. For he is the living God, and enduring forever. Daniel was delivered from the lion's den, not as much and for, if you will, the sake of Daniel, but for those who observe the power of the living God to say, He's the living God. God speaks, God acts, to just show that all the idols are simply idols. They're made of wood and stone and gold and silver. You can speak at them, but they can't hear you and they can't speak in return. But the God that Daniel serves and the God that we ought to serve hears, acts, protects, and is sovereign not just in the day of Daniel, but today as well. For He is the living God and enduring forever. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, Darius ought to know very well about destroyed kingdoms because he just overcame a kingdom to become the king of this new kingdom. That kingdom fail, Darius is going to understand that his kingdom will fail, but the kingdom of God will never be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So he makes the statement God is the type of God who will endure forever. He is the living God, and he has delivered Daniel. We have seen this miraculous event in our sight, these signs and wonders. Verse 28, so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel will serve the kings of the Babylonians. He then will serve the kings of the Medo Persian Empire. Daniel's life will span about 83, 85 years or so. And all of that time, Daniel is being used by God. And he will always be a testimony to the power of God. Because as the king declared, he was delivered from the lion's mouth. now, we have a great testimony as well. But I want us to look at a couple of things when we're going to see them in 1 Peter. It says this, um, and this is found in 1 Peter 4. it says this, Beloved, in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you, which come among you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. We too may suffer. And Peter says, you may suffer because you've done wrong, or you may suffer because you're a follower of Jesus. If you suffer because you've done wrong, you deserve it. If you suffer because you are a follower of Jesus, he goes, rejoice. We are not told what happens to Daniel that night in the lion's den. And I think there is a reason Because each of us, when we're in the lion's den, may react differently. Some of us might have a prayer meeting. Some of us might have a revival and just start singing praises to God. And we might just rejoice and praise Him and glorify His name. But we are told when these times come, Our actions should not be, oh, this isn't fair. Oh, God has forsaken me. Oh, God is not able to. But we rejoice because He considered us worthy to suffer for Him. All too often when it comes to our lives, and I almost, and I decided against it, I almost brought a picture, of. so I want you to, None of you here knew me when I was seven years old. I almost brought a picture of me at, at seven, sitting on a little table, uh, kind of like a portrait. Our lives tend to be, like you will, a series of snapshots. And if you only knew me as a seven-year-old, you wouldn't know much of me. And if I only knew you as seven or twelve or 92, or whatever it might be, I don't know for you, and if I only see you at this snapshot, I get a bad idea of what your life has been. All too often we look at, let's, let's say, the Daniel situation, where we find ourselves in a lion's den. And others might look at us and say, oh, he must have done something wrong, or God has failed him, or whatever, because we see a snapshot of that particular thing. We don't see Daniel praying three times. We don't see Daniel being blessed by God. We don't see Daniel ministering and giving testimony of the visions of God. And we don't see Daniel afterwards about how he's used by other kings. We tend to say, oh, he's in a lion's den. The fortunate thing with Daniel is we read two or three chapters in a few minutes, And these are years that take place. But our lives are not snapshots of two or three minutes. But oftentimes people will see what's happening now and think that therefore something either we're not as close to God as we ought to be or whatever. If you see somebody in the lion's den, don't think it's a snapshot of what they deserve it may be a snapshot of what God is going to do. Another verse that I want to share is in First Peter chapter 5. We'll start with verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. The problem with kings oftentimes is they're not humble. They try to exalt themselves. God is saying, humble yourself before God. That He may exalt you at the proper time. Now it's wonderful when people say, oh, aren't you wonderful, and that was great, and this, and whatever. But you know how long it lasts? As long as it takes for them to say it. But when God exalts you, you're exalted. And so when He has a blessing upon you and when He praises you, He's the King of heaven and earth. I'll take that praise anytime. And that praise that I'm looking forward to hearing, well done, good and faithful slave. I think that would be about as great an exaltation as I can think of. Casting all, not some, not part, not most, not the trivial, not the important, all your anxiety on Him. Now, we're really good at that, but we're only get really good at this how. We cast our anxiety on Him, and then we take it back. And we cast our anxiety on Him, and we take it back. It's kind of like fly fishing. We throw it out, and we bring it back. And we throw it out, and we bring it back. This is like casting a net. You throw it out and you leave it, it's His. And why? Because He cares for you. The God of heaven and earth knows the very hairs on your head, knows when you get up, knows when you go on, knows when you're line's in, knows when you're not. Knows when you're having great success, knows when it's miserable failure. Knows when you're having a good hair day and when you're having a bad hair day. Knows when you've got the flu And when you just called work because you didn't want to go. Because he cares for you. Be a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls along like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now we may not be in four walls of a lion's den But we are here, if you will, in his den, and he's seeking someone to devour. But God can shut his mouth, just as surely as he shut the mouths of those lions in Daniel's seeking someone. But resist him, firm in your faith. Daniel trusted God. We are to trust God. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. In essence, you are not alone. When you suffer for Jesus, there are others suffering for Jesus. God is not against you, God is not upset with you, God is not mad at you. You are suffering for his name's sake, and there are others who are suffering as well. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You almost think that Daniel and Peter knew each other. The very things that were happening. The king declaring the proclamation. Daniel making his statement of faith. Peter telling us, have faith that when that lion called the devil seeks to devour us, God can just shut His mouth. Stand firm. We live in a foreign land. People don't understand why we follow the Lord that we follow. And there will come a time when they will be less tolerant of us than they are today. We can either be all upset and say it isn't fair, or we can say, Glory be to God. We can say, I don't deserve this, or I can say, I know that I'm just being treated like my Lord was. He was innocent. He made no reviling accusation. He simply said, Father, forgive them. And that's how we should act as well. When the Scripture says we are to love our enemy, it's not theoretical. It's practical. When we are told to love one another as He has loved us, it's not theoretical not even doctrinal. It's an expression of how we are to behave. So this well-known story of Daniel is a story that may repeat in our lives as well. We are not to change our customs, We are to continue in them. We are not to start praying when we're told not to pray. We are to pray now. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. And when you are confident in those situations, it doesn't matter how many lions are walking around you. Because my God is able to to do it again and again and again and again. And even if He doesn't, it is because He has something better for me and for you. Because the glory will be even far greater because we suffered as He has called us to suffer and to rejoice as He has called us to rejoice.